Welcome one and all back for another episode. This episode is a discussion with Mr. Brian Edward Hill. He is returning once again. He was on the show uh, about a year, year and a half ago. So it's been a little while and Brian has been working on a lot of things since that chat. So we had to catch up on all that good, good, nerdy juiciness. Uh, Make sure you listen to this whole thing. Now, here's the crazy part. We talked so long. We had so much to talk about. This episode just ended up having to be a two-parter. So uh, at a certain point, this conversation is going to get cut off, and you're going to have to wait for that next part. Fear not, the next part is coming soon. But until then, let's listen to the first part with Mr. Brian Edward Hill. This is The Savage Land. Hold on one second. Let me just light some incense. Give me one second. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Okay. I'll, all set now. I have awesome. a whole ritual <laughs> I have to do before I settle in for my for my evening. That's funny. Do you do, you so do the far. same thing when you're like uh, writing or anything like that? Or is it a totally different process? Well, usually when I write, I have, you know, I have a, a candle that I like to light and I have uh, an incense I like to burn. Okay. And I also have these uh, LifeX LED bulbs. You can change the colors. Oh yeah! Actually, so I think I've I have, seen you like post a picture of that before or something. Yeah, yeah. I have research colors, and then I have writing colors. Interesting. Um, that it's, it's it's a sensory thing, right? So if you have a little sensory ritual around the work that you're doing, your brain settles into creativity mm-hmm. when the the stage is set, right? It's like yeah. my mind knows when the incense is burning and the lights are a certain color. Oh, we're writing now. Okay. Right. Uh, it's just and it's just a way for me because I do so many different things. Jason, Absolutely. That it's uh, I, I need like a, a method to instantly get into that place because I just have to write when I have to write. Yeah, of course. That's you know, that's that's interesting. And that's there, there's some things there that I uh, that I want to come back to. I'm actually going to include this if that's uh, cool with you. Include this in the uh, episode. Oh, yeah, that's, that's you can put all my weirdness on the Internet. <laughs> It's, it's I, totally fine. That 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 might end up being the uh, the tagline on your Twitter at some point. Um, but, uh, <laughs> right on. For the for the listeners, uh, welcome into the Savage Land. And as you can hear, we're talking today uh, once again with uh, Brian Hill. Uh, he is the uh, writer of things like Detective Comics, uh, the upcoming Outsiders series. Uh, I can't remember the exact title. I think is it Black Lightning and the Outsiders, or is it just oh, the it's Outsiders? Batman and the Outsiders? Batman and the Outsiders. Okay. Uh, right. Batman and the Outsiders. It sounds like a punk band from like 1983. <laughs> I'm Batman and this is the Outsiders. We're ready to rock. I'm Batman and the Outsiders, man. We're opening <laughs> up for Sex Pistols. Uh, but you, you'll know Brian's work from the pages of Detective Comics, Outsiders, um, as well as uh, Top Cow Books like uh, his very own Romulus, Postal, um, and uh, many other comics, Spider-Man, as well as the upcoming Titans TV show on DC. He's all over the place, and he's uh, he's very prolific of late, but uh, welcome to the show, Brian Hill. Oh, I'm happy to be here, Jason. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's good to talk to you again. Uh, so I'm curious. It's been a while, right? It was like, it was, it was what, last year? I mean, yeah, it was, I think it was at least a year ago. Um, I'm, I, yeah, I have sure. a hard time remembering months, but definitely at least a year ago, so... It's, uh, there's a lot to well, catch and, up and, on. In Brian Hill years, like a year <laughs> in in my years is like ten years. No doubt, man. <laughs> I mean, it's been it's been crazy. Like ever since we had you on the show, it felt like as soon as we had you on the show, it was like the next week. You know, some sort of announcement would happen around you, and then it was like every like two or three weeks after that, more and more like things would just come out. And I'm like, man, 
I really got to like get this guy back on just to talk about all this stuff that's happening. Well, everyone heard that I had spoken to you, and that was that was it. That was <laughs> that the was push it. Yeah, they you, all needed. You got that Savage Land bump. That's uh, that's how it always yeah, happens, you know. You're like like Carson in the '80s, man. You do Carson, <laughs> and the rest of your career is set. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, you know, it's it's not terribly wrong. We had Zach Kaplan on uh, right before you uh, the last time you. Oh, were there on. you go. You know, since then he's been he's been all over the place. Jeremy Hahn, you know, a bunch of these guys. Uh, but anyway, it's it, as far as the last year goes, it's been a pretty insane one for you, man. I mean, Titans, uh, Cyberforce, Michael Cray. Oh, we didn't even mention Michael Cray in the in the intro, um, which I was just reading. Uh, I mean, everything, Detective Comics, Outsiders. Like, what what has your schedule been like? Well, you know, I, I don't have any kids, uh, <laughs> that and helps. that means I have way more free time than most people. <laughs> um, and you know, I've, I, early on in my, my career, not even my career, when I was pre-career, right, we're talking like, you know, senior year of film school. I went to NYU, so I came out in 99. Yeah. And I, I realized that I had to be comfortable with writing a lot of pages. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and I, I went to film school. I was going to be a filmmaker. I didn't go to like writing school. Yeah. I just studied writing because I didn't know where I'd get a good screenplay from, right? Mm-hmm. So... I figured, well, if you can generate your own screenplay, then I don't have to worry about getting a screenplay. <laughs> and, you know, the people I looked up to were like Michael Mann, James Cameron, uh, even Spielberg, you know, had had written. I think he wrote uh, a little bit on Close Encounters, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and Lucas and, and all and all these these people. And it just seemed like they were really comfortable with just the idea of sitting down and putting down pages. That seemed like a prerequisite. Mm hmm. So I just wrote all the time. I just wanted to write so much that I was never intimidated by length. I was never intimidated by scope. Mm-hmm. Um, I might, you know, I always have hurdles I'm trying to cross and mountains I'm climbing, but just get used to just doing the pages all the time. Yeah. And uh, it it really ramped up because, you know, I, I came out and started doing screenwriting and was in a huge dry cell for a long time as every virtually every kid out of film school. There's always that one kid that gets a three-picture deal out of film school. I was not that kid. Um, Nor was I. So, yeah, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, you're working on screenplays, is, it's a little different. But when I started working on Postal mm-hmm. with Top Cow, and I had to do an issue. I mean, that's the first time I had to write an issue of a comic book every month while I was doing everything else. And that leveled me up in terms of being able to take on things and finish things because I had to write Postal every month, which was a very difficult book to write. I'm sure. Um, so that was challenging just in and of itself uh, because of the nature of like the crime story. It didn't have the obvious action adventure fantasy hallmarks. It was like writing True Detective, you know, uh, yeah. kind of every week. Absolutely. So, you know, I was doing that, but then I was also doing screenwriting. I wrote a a, a, a uh, Muay Thai animated feature uh, in Thailand during that time. You know, like I was just doing so much work uh, that, I, it, you know, you, you just build your muscles up. You can just carry more. But I I try not to do more than like four comics a month mm-hmm. if I can. Like but part of that is just I don't want to overexpose myself and stick retailers with a bunch of Brian Hill works that they can't <laughs> move. You know, I got to kind of create demand with some scarcity. So, um, and another thing I'll do is I'll do multiple issues in a stretch. Mm -hmm. Like I might 
write two or three issues of an arc in a weekend mm -hmm. to clear my plate a little bit so I can do other things and then just turn them in when I have to turn them in, you know? So there's like little things you can do to make it, to make it uh, happen. And in comics, the schedule between writing and releasing mm -hmm. is kind of randomized. So it can look like you did all these things at the same time, but that might be a project I wrote eight months ago. Of <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's just, I, I had forgotten about it. I had written it, turned it in, you know, totally forgotten about it. And then suddenly I'm getting letter pages in my email and I have to do letter corrections. And then I got to rewrite, reread everything about yeah. it. Uh, Aphrodite five is like that. It's on shelves now. And I wrote that at least a year ago, Oh wow! if not a year and a half ago. Right. So when they would send me the uh, letter pages for my my last pass writer's notes, I had to start over from the beginning. I didn't even know what this was. <laughs> I <laughs> I was like, what did I say? What did I, I do? Let me let me <laughs> let me read this again. <laughs> it's it's funny, man. I I recently had like for the first time, I had a very similar experience. You know, this this comic that I I, I wrote the first issue script like about a year ago. Um, and just barely, yeah. you know, got the, the full pages back from my artist. And so now it was the same exact thing. It was like going back for letters. And I was like, oh man, like what was, what was in this? <laughs> you know, like, let me try and figure well, out it's, it's, where I had first. It's a really strange thing for me too, because I, um, even if I'm doing genre work, mm -hmm. I'm kind of bleeding into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a, I have a philosophy about you kind of use everything. Right. And part of that means like put in what you're feeling, what you're thinking, all of that. Mm -hmm. So a story for me is a snapshot of where my mind was, where my heart was at the time. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, as you write something, you kind of evolve beyond it. Right? You put it in there and then you've changed mm -hmm. because of the act of writing. And then you you know move on to your next thing. Yeah, so you when got, I'm confronted with writing journey. from a year ago mm – -hmm. Yeah, it's like, oh wait, this is a this is a time capsule. Yeah. Um, where was I? What was I trying to accomplish here? <laughs> you know, and there, there there have been times where I've written a comic, and it uh, you know, for a whole host of reasons, it takes a while for the thing to get the art and, and come to market. Of course. And then I see, you know, the letters and all of that put together, and I look at that and I'm like, oh no 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 no, we're not going <laughs> to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wasn't nearly enlightened enough. When I wrote. Start rewriting so, dialogue, putting uh, breaking yeah, up start balloons writing and dialogue, stuff. Man. Yeah, taking out the acrimony. You know, <laughs> I, like I don't even know why I was mad about it, issue three, but I'm not mad about it anymore. So let's go ahead and clean this up a little bit. I hear you. We we have a little bit more subtlety into some of the uh, metaphors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously. Um. I think everything I wrote in 2016 is just angry. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> you are you are not alone in that. There are many people, I'm sure, who are looking at the same thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I, if you're out there, I apologize. <laughs> Hey man, it, it was st it was still reading all right. You know, it wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't too overt to the outside viewer, I think. From what I read at least. Yeah, I think well, you know, the ending of Postal got like real dark That's and I just true. think I was in a real dark place yeah. because of the acrimony, you know, mm -hmm. and, and just the the culture at the time. Not yeah. even like the politics, but just, just everyone just hating each other so much. And I think it had mission creep into postal mm -hmm. and that's why the end of postal is is grim but i i think i i managed to pull it out a little bit uh with the very last thing i wrote um the uh mark one shot but mm -hmm. but yeah you know writing in a lot of ways i guess it's like music you know it's yeah. kind of like when she broke your heart 
that song was everything. And yep. then you marry somebody else. You're like, what to play that again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm man. not. I'm over. I'm over that. Sarah's <laughs> smile. Really? Still, huh? <laughs> you know? Absolutely. It's like you're moved on. Like you've had kids. You have a white picket fence somewhere and you're on stage. Baby. Head. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, I mean, like, you're, you're just doing it, you know? Yeah, it's it's um what's that the Fleetwood Mac song that they wrote that was about like the breakup of the the two members or whatever and like yeah yeah I, you know what I don't I I I don't know a lot about Fleetwood Mac but I have heard that story yeah um, I'm because uh, that's Stevie Stevie Nicks yeah yeah that? yep Stevie Nicks yeah yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm a big Stevie Nicks fan because I'm like an '80s dude of so I uh I I really dig that and um I don't know which song it was yeah. I, uh, I, I'm uh, having a hard time remembering. Like sure Edge of Seventeen. Is that them or is that just Stevie? That might be Stevie. That might just be Stevie. But I'm not the biggest expert on either Stevie Nicks or uh, Fleetwood Mac. Okay. I have like four or five songs from each of them that I'm like, yeah, I love those songs. But d- outside of that, I'm like, ooh, I don't know. This is the wilderness. Yeah, I really dig Edge of Seventeen as a song. I don't know whether it's Stevie or Fleetwood, but I have heard that story before yeah. for sure. So it's like that. That's got to be like a very similar thing, where it's like those two people are still on stage together, you know, forty years later, performing the same song. Oh, about it's like got to be the worst. Yeah. You know, it's it's like I I I, I write music in my spare time, yeah. just so I can have a pure expression that I don't have to sell to anybody, right? <laughs> yeah. Because um, everything I write that's a story, you know, there's kind of a price point associated with it, or hopefully, right? So you're, mm-hmm. it's always in the back of your mind. You're kind of thinking about commerce, whether you want to or not. Yeah. But with music, I don't at all. And I, I have such a, a respect for musicians that can make something so personal and share it with so many people when it's so obviously raw. Like, you know, Eric Clapton in Tears in Heaven, mm. you know, like to have to sing that song um, for so many years in front of so many people. And we all know it's about a son and that tragedy. Um, it's just remarkable. I was, I was looking up Woodstock the other day, uh, and I didn't realize that Richie Havens, you know, that freedom acoustic thing that he does in the Woodstock, uh, uh, set, mm. he just made that up. I didn't oh, know that. Wow. That's yeah, yeah. It was the, someone, someone was late. I don't know who was late, but like, you know, it was, it was Woodstock. So mm. everyone was probably high or something, <laughs> of course. you know? <laughs> so it's not it's not easy to maintain a schedule at Woodstock, I think. Yeah, like you you know, you're you're gonna be there when you're gonna you know how long you're gonna be there. And I think somebody was late to get to the stage, so Richie just started playing mm-hmm. and just started making up a song, you know, kind of on the spot. And then this backup band picks up on the court changes and starts throwing in some backup vocals. And when you watch that, I think it's on YouTube, just look up Richie Haven's Freedom Woodstock. Um and you see organically like everyone just in that moment just making that thing happen it's it's remarkable uh yeah, so really cool. i try to do that with my writing you know i try to um be as pure in terms of expression and connection in the writing uh you know as i think the musicians that i that i admire a lot are um yeah. and for the most part i think i succeed and i'm i'm actually i'm curious while we're on that note uh in, in terms of preserving, you know, the the expression of of the things you write, especially in mediums like comics or in television, obviously where it's interpreted by by someone else or teams of other people, um, and I, I think specifically in comics as it pertains to some of the stuff we're talking about right now, how what's your approach to to preserving that or at least uh, conveying that emotion or that feeling or whatever it is you're getting out when you're writing? I mean, do you do you tend to get really heavy on the prose just to describe what you're feeling to the artist or you, do you try to let you know leave a lot up to interpretation what's what are your scripts like in that sense 
Well, I've, I've evolved kind of over the years. Um, when I first started writing comics, mm-hmm. I was writing them very much like a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. And screenplays, I think the best screenplays have a lot of white on the page. Yes. Those have always been the screenplays that I, I've admired. You know, if I, you know, like a recent thing is uh, Michael Green's, I think it's Michael Green and Hampton Fancher, uh, their screenplay for Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a heavily designed film. I mean, it's Denis Villeneuve. So mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know, there's layers of imagery and symbolism everywhere. But at the script, the script is a very lean, efficient experience. Um, and that's the discipline of screenwriting because you want a director, a cinematographer, you know, your production designer or whatever, they come in and and they help visualize it. You just want to give people the story, the characterization, dialogue, plot, all that. Yeah. So at first that's how I was writing comics. And then, um, pardon me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I, uh, started as I started talking to artists, I began to put a little more of what was in my head. See, you know, I'm the latest blooming filmmaker in the history of Hollywood, right? <laughs> um, but I'm always kind of thinking visually. Mm-hmm. And when I'm writing, I, I see what's in my head uh, very clearly. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to burden an artist uh, with whatever specific vision. Because my, my, my head vision is, is very detailed. I mean, oh, down to the lighting, camera angle, wardrobe, what's going on. Like, I, I have it all in, in my dome. Mm-hmm. But... I don't want to, you know, dictate, you know, I need to see all of this stuff because then that stops them from being creative and telling the story visually yeah. the way that they want to do. There's, there's a um, reason, uh, there's a reason Alan Moore doesn't work with, uh, the same artist more than once very often. <laughs> that's because they just don't draw what I need <laughs> them to draw. You see, Did I was not... having a conversation with Quexel Keato about, how you must be specific in your imagery. Um, so, uh, uh, but in talking to artists, mm-hmm. uh, now Alan Moore is going to like open up a hell mouth in my bedroom. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm he's going to summon his magic and beads. And, and... Well, now I got to light like 500 white candles and call Grant Morrison. <laughs> well, you know, you shouldn't have said the thing you said on the podcast, you know? You know, Alan takes it seriously, you know? Yeah, I mean, Mor- um, Morrison, so. whatever Morrison's doing, though, he's managed to uh, to escape the, the fatality of Alan Moore's wrath, uh, at least thus far. <laughs> well, that's because, you know, you got to urinate in a cup and then you drink it and then you're safe. <laughs> you know, that's what I do. At least once the aliens it's visit great. You and, and show you uh, the enlightenment. It's great. The aliens can protect you from Alan, you know? It's great. <laughs> um... Uh, uh, Grant's actually awesome. I met him once at a comic book convention. He was the oh, nicest yeah. guy in the world. Never met Alan. But um, anyway, <laughs> as I, you know, r- ruin my career <laughs> with bad impressions <laughs> of comic book writers <laughs> on your podcast. Um, <laughs> in talking to in talking to artists, mm-hmm. I I realize that as long as I make it clear mm. that what I'm writing, you don't have to do. Mm. They've they've always liked to get more information. Mm-hmm. So. Now, when I write my scripts, my scripts are a little more dense, mm-hmm. but, I, but I always check in. So in the beginning of a process, like with uh, Batman and the Outsiders, I'm working with Dexter Soy, mm-hmm. who's a brilliant artist, Absolutely. tons of energy uh, and iconic power in his work. His stuff on Red Hood so, is incredible. was so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's, it's just so passionate. You know, it, mm-hmm. you just open it up and it slaps you in the face. And that's what I, what I love about, about comic books when they're really clicking like that. Yeah. So the first thing I do when I work with a new artist is I ask them – to tell me what are what are five things that you love to draw, mm-hmm. and what are five things that you hate to draw, um, so I can 
retool my scripts around things. So if someone's like, I hate buildings, then I can work with that. Yeah. It's like, I hate cars, then I can work with that. Right. Mm. Um, you know, so I try to work inside of, of those parameters so they can have the most fun drawing it. And then I also tell them, I put a lot of visual detail in the scripts, mm. but you don't have to pay attention to it. I just want you to see what I'm seeing. And then you can figure out how you want to implement that if you do or not. But, you know, I've never had an artist say, oh, you know, don't give me more information mm. um, because I'm not holding to it. But sometimes they you think that it's clear what you're trying to do on this page. You can see how this is all going to work out and this moment leads to that moment and that means that. It's probably not that clear unless you <laughs> specifically write it, yeah. you know, in the script. Because, you know, you don't know how people read scripts and 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 how people work and – yeah, and and all sometimes that. it's so, just a terminology thing too. I mean, sometimes like you'll say something a certain way, and it just like when someone else is reading those plain words, they're not. It's it just doesn't come across as the same thing at all. Yeah, yeah. And then sometimes I'll do a style guide, you know, with like screen caps and clip art and that sort of business, so they can see a little bit more of the tone mm. that I'm that I'm trying to set. You know, because there's so many parts in the line. I mean, there's the pencils and the inks, and there's the colorists and the colors really determine your tone. Oh, absolutely. You know, if the colors aren't in sync with the vibe uh, of the script, then you're going to have this kind of tonal mishmash. Mm. So, so yeah, so now I err on the side of too much information, um, but I always provide the disclaimer, you don't have, this isn't like, a, you know, this is marching orders. This is just what's in my head. Yeah, of course. That's interesting. I Yeah, it's 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 always like every writer kind of has a, a different approach to it. And I mean, obviously like Warren Ellis, who, who obviously you've, you've worked with a bit on, on your Wildstorm stuff. Uh, it, it always seems like he's, he's, he's trying to make sure that he paints the artist into as specific of a corner as possible. And I think sometimes he's sarcastic with that, but he'll talk about it. Like, yeah, he's like, I want to make sure that exactly what I'm looking for in the script is exactly what they interpret it as and, and all this stuff. And I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. Everyone's sort of uh, varied approach to that. Well, yeah, you know, War, you know, I did work with Warren on um, uh, Michael Cray, mm. and he gave me a lot of room. I mean, I, I certainly work inside of his grid style in that <laughs> yeah, book because that. that's the that's the style that he uses in the Wildstorm, and and you know, I'm I'm fine with it. I don't have a problem with the style. Mm. Um, I I think I don't really identify as a writer. <laughs> I identify as a filmmaker who has yet to make a film. Mm. So. I mean, I made some shorts and that kind of thing, but like a feature film. So, so I think because I don't personally think of myself as a writer, I choose to keep this delusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not emotionally in, as emotionally invested into the specific execution of my writing in a certain way. If I think that we still got to Athens, mm-hmm. you know, like as long as we get to the same place, I, let, I, I like to let a collaborator get there the way they want as long yeah. as we get there, you know, of course. um, but I think that has a lot to do with me just having no idea really what I am. You know, I just do things I think are interesting <laughs> and, uh, uh, I can, I can pay the rent writing stories. So that's cool. That's so I, I keep doing that, but you know, you know, I take photographs and I've dabbled in, in being a fashion photographer a little bit and, you know, I, I need to get the movie up off the ground. I just like to create stuff, man. I'm, I'm kind of like Nicholas Reffin, you know, I just like <laughs> do weird things. You do. Yeah. I mean, it, it is always interesting, like seeing your um, your social media presence, and and I think sometimes specifically your your Instagram, because it is a very like wide ranging sort of uh, showcase of some of these like other things that that are interesting you outside of the world of comics and film. Um, 
and I, I always find yeah, it, for sure. I always find it fun. Yeah, no, no, just for sure. Like I, I, I honestly have no idea what I want to do with myself. Yeah. Like there, I was, you know, I was um talking to John, and I don't know how you pronounce John's last name. Was it Sionter? Sionter's uh, Sontras, Word Balloon. Mm-hmm. John Word Balloon. The, right? the the pod father um, of comics, if you will. Yes, yes. Like if <laughs> if this was Conan, he'd be called John yeah. Word Balloon. John. <laughs> um, John's such a nice guy. And too. I was talking to him. Oh, awesome guy. He's he's so good at it. he's so good at it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know what? I could I could be like Tavis Smiley. That would be cool. <laughs> I could do that. You know, like I I'm telling you, brother, like I literally have no idea what I'll be doing, you know, every six months. Mm-hmm. I just kind of go with things. I'm like Heath Ledger in the Dark Knight. I just <laughs> do things. Like <laughs> so Actually I just so don't expect any I was just gonna Go say I, I just saw the Dark Knight uh, in IMAX. They did like that re-release for the tenth anniversary, and it's like it's so fresh oh, yeah. in my mind that movie just because it was like two nights ago, and I'm still blown away by it. But well, anyway. I am a dog chasing cars. Like <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't have a plan. Um, you know, so it, it, don't expect like cohesion from anything. It is. It's like I'm I'm working with my wife now on uh, doing like a little fashion project and. Oh, cool. It'll be tied into an original comic book thing I'm doing that I can't give details about right now, but details are forthcoming. Mm-hmm. But it'll probably also incorporate film and music as well. You know, I have an EP of material I'm building uh, to kind of coincide with this. I'll shoot some music videos for it. I have no idea what I'm going to do with all this content. I probably won't even sell the, the media parts of it. I'll throw it up online on a website or something. <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm just on like some childish Gambino thing, man. Like, I. <laughs> Yeah, I just, man. You know, I I just do stuff. Get like, your hands in as many um, pies as possible, whatever interests you. Yeah, like reject labels and just create things that you think are interesting. That's Hell that's yeah. uh, my philosophy, you know, basically. Uh, and I, I think that's the the curse of of uh, being someone. And, and I mean, it seems like, and, and you know, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the curse of being someone who is a bit of a, a sponge who can absorb constantly and keep learning and 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 exploring things. Because then every time you learn a new thing or explore a new thing, you're like, oh, wait a minute, like. Let me let me dig down deeper in that rabbit hole. Like, let me go further there and see what else is is down there that I've been missing or whatever. Like, it's uh... well, everything is a storytelling, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, photography is storytelling, uh, music is storytelling, mm-hmm. writing obviously, podcasting is storytelling. You know, when you talk to somebody, you're thinking about, all right, well, how am I going to arc out this conversation? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> what are the what are the the points I want to hit? What's the beginning, middle, and end of yes, this? Sir. I mean, storytelling, right? You're helping people tell their own stories on your podcast through the structure that you're bringing. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, it's like, it, it seems like a lot of different things, but to me, it's all the same thing. Yeah. You know, I, 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 uh, I, I joke with my, uh, my wife that I get everything I need out of most of my comics from the cover mm. and the interior stuff is just the bonus material. Right. <laughs> but like for me, the cover, yeah, that's it. That's what I want to do that. <laughs> So I'm done. I'm good. I'm satisfied, right? Like <laughs> I've got the image. I got the image. You see the story in there. The story in that image. You get it. You get it. Of course, it. absolutely. Um, well, and especially when you have covers then, yeah. adorned by you know Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz. That that ain't that ain't uh, bad for it either. Oh, seriously, right? Just make it a flip book. <laughs> like you don't need dialogue from me. Just take the covers, put them all together, put put a price point on it, and be like, here here is the visual novel of Michael Craig. You there know. You um, yeah, yeah. So for me, it's all. 
it's it's all the same thing. Uh, um, not to sound like Russ Cole from True Detective, but like <laughs> you know, it's all the same dream. Um, but but yeah, like it, it is. So for other people, it it seems like you're kind of schizophrenic. But it's like no, I'm just sort of just you know, I'm telling stories because I love to do that, and I just do it in different kind of you know media uh, as I find opportunities of interest. Of course. Um... And I so I, I want to take it back a bit uh, to to a time before Postal. Um, mm. Back a, a while back, you did a series of interviews for uh, Comics Beat for the Beat. Um, and I oh yeah, wow, <laughs> that was back in the Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I, Shout I'm, out to Heidi McDonald. I know, seriously, she's she's one of the best people in comics journalism. Um, I, I I'm wondering what out out of all those interviews was there a sort of big lesson that came out of that about writing or comics or, or something that you just feel like you learned the most uh, from from doing all that and talking to those people. Um, you know, talking to Hickman was interesting. Mm. Um, because Hickman is a really curious figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's such a good writer mm-hmm. and. He's such a thoughtful guy, but he's also one of the most evasive people you'll ever talk to. <laughs> yes. There's like, a reason I have not could, reached out to interview him. <laughs> he could not desire less to talk about his method. <laughs> yes, that is for <laughs> He's sure. just not interested in talking about his method or, or any of that. He let, I mean, and I understand it. Let the work speak for yourself. And, mm-hmm. and I... I from Hickman, I think I just kind of learned not to take myself that seriously mm. because he takes his work seriously, but he doesn't really take himself that seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's quick witted for mm. sure, um, and he, he's he's like suckers you into it because he kind of looks like Michael McDonald from the Doobie Brothers, <laughs> right? So like, you know, he has like this blue eyed soul thing mm-hmm. when you when you meet him. And you're like, oh, okay, all right. And your guard gets set down, mm-hmm. and then suddenly hit you with that 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 rapier wit, and you're like, oh, Jonathan Hickman, you know. Um, yeah. So so like, yeah, I think I think from talking to because yeah, I, I was talking to him about Black Monday Murders, which mm-hmm. is a book I'm very very fond of. Um, it's a beautifully written book, beautifully illustrated book, and I expected him to almost have a tinfoil hat after reading <laughs> that book, right? Like yeah. I thought I was gonna gonna talk to Hickman. And it was going to be like, and what we got to do is we got to worry about the clouds and the chemtrail. You know, like I that's I thought he was going to sell me some supplements or something. Right. Of course. So um, I expected that. And I walked in and I just had this affable conversation, you know, with a with a, with a guy who didn't take himself all that seriously. And I realized, well, if Jonathan Hickman doesn't take himself that seriously. I know Brian Hill shouldn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that was probably a, the. um the most uh, 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 kind of enlightening thing, you know, because yeah. his work is excellent, he tells great stories, oh, but course. he's not really full of himself in that way. Um, and I really appreciate that about Hickman. Yeah, it, it was actually it was funny reading Black Monday Murders because I, I started reading that pretty soon after uh, the last time you and I talked. And and you probably don't remember the last time that we talked, we talked a bit about like uh, rich people with their sort of like rituals and stuff like that in the woods and kind of some Oh, all that Bohemian and... Grove? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the, yeah the weird Weird stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Weird stuff, man. Talked about the weird, weird things that rich there, people man. do to uh, to influence the world, and oh, they get so weird. <laughs> they get so weird. And so it was, it was interesting reading that book because I was like, oh man, like this is this is a lot of like uh, similar stuff to to what Brian and I were talking about. It's weird. 
Um, it's weird, man. You know, I, I grew up around a lot of old money families, and and they have their ways. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'll say there's, they have their ways. There's certain invitations from rich people that you might not want to take sometimes. Um, well, because you don't know if you're the buffet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, especially you know? obviously. Uh, yeah, there's there's certain types of of things where you start to get into that weird like get out territory. Where you're like, oh, this is. This feels odd. This feels creepy. I don't. I don't like this. I mean, there's, you know, there, there's a. a I, I've bumped into quite a, a, a few like w- weird kind of secret groups and a bit since I've been out here in Hollywood I'm that sure. you know are kind of into into esoteric stuff because I study some of that stuff just for writing and just you know mm-hmm. intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's some people that you know they take it the whole way. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they t- I'll just say that they yeah. take it the whole. Way. <laughs> Um, there was a, one, one other thing I wanted to, to ask about from, from your time, uh, writing for the beat. And then, uh, we're going to kind of move on here to some of the, the comics you've been writing and, and TV, of course. Um, but y- in your interview with Joseph Illage, um, obviously I, I thought that was a very interesting interview. And so if anyone out there wants to Google Brian Hill, Joseph Illage, I'm sure you'll find it. It's a really good interview, but, um, one of the things uh, that you talked about is when you first met him, you guys would often debate uh, over things like, you know, what the best Frank Miller work was, the, you know, or what the best Frank Miller work was, or, you know, if you'd rather have a pint with Moore or mm. Morrison. Um, and I'm cu- curious about both of those questions, actually, for you, for your end of the debate. What do you think the best Frank Miller work is? Um, you know, I, I think Batman Year One, mm. in terms of just strictly the writing side of it, mm-hmm. is is brilliant. Uh, um, I think it's, it's a distilled Frank Miller experience. You know, the dark Knight returns was a huge influence on me. Mm. Um, cause I was one of the first like non monthly, like floppy things I ever read. And I didn't think that was possible to do that. I didn't realize you could do that in the comic book, mm-hmm. but year one is what I revisit the most. Um, I mean with Frank, it's difficult to pin it down to one work because of course, Although he has like a lot of common tendencies um, throughout his stories, they do tend to sort of scale in one way or another. So it almost mm-hmm. depends on your mood. Like right now I'm studying Sin City mm-hmm. because of a thing that I'm working on, you know, and uh, I'm looking at panel count and onomatopoeia mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, what the little things like having uh, a panel unfettered with words and then having – pros in the margins, mm-hmm. which is something I've never done in a comic before, yeah. but I'll, I'll probably do this or I just open it up right now. We've got like a page that says two panels and it's just rain, you know? Oh, so man. he did do uh, in Sin City. He got so, um, I guess the best word is unrestricted, but you know, like, yeah, in, in those books, he did so many things that you kind of like in, in a monthly comic, especially you wouldn't dare to do just because of economy, but you know, also just he, right. Yeah, just it's 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 like a Fritz Lang thing. Yeah, you know it's it's they talk about noir, and I can understand it has the noir trappings and the noir archetypes and all of that. But it, it reminds me more of like early expressionist cinema mm-hmm. than it does film noir. Yeah, because um, film noir had a lot of yeah, film noir was literal for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean it was moody, but it was literal. Yeah. Sin City isn't literal no. a lot. No. A lot of it is allegorical, symbolic. So. Yeah, you know, it just depends on what I'm in the mood for. Um, uh, you know, and sometimes it's Man Without Fear is a thing that I'm salivating over because of the character study aspects of it, you know, and and uh, the the arc of Matt Murdock 
in that narrative and how he's able to incorporate Catholicism and other things into the character and, yeah. and all that. I mean, you know, everyone knows how much of a Frank Miller fan I am. <laughs> of course. Um, that was, that was one of the first you know, things I, I, I noticed in, um, in Romulus when I was reading it is I was like, man, this, this feels like oh, a Frank Miller book. Yeah. Romulus is certainly like, it's funny. Sarah McLaughlin, uh, was in an interview and she was like, yeah, you know, that first album has a lot of Joni Mitchell in it. <laughs> well, you know, Romulus, yeah, that first that first graphic novel has a lot of Frank Miller in it. <laughs> hey, that ain't bad, man. That ain't bad. You know, like guilty, right? Ask like, ask, ask Tom off King. With nine panel grids. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ask Tom King how yeah, sad like he is, how much Alan Moore is in uh, Omega Men. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> true. Very, very, very true. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wore my influences on my sleeve with that one. Yeah. Uh, I actually met Frank once, oh, briefly, hey. in, um, gosh, I think it was New York Con. Mm-hmm. And I was walking around, and Frank Miller was just, like, walking by, like, the the food court. Oh, shit. And I was like, well, I, I got to talk to Frank Miller. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, he might sock me in the jaw or something, but I got I to gotta try <laughs> And I had a, a very nice conversation with him. Um, he was a very, very nice guy, a uh, gentle man. Like I was, I was surprised at how gentle he was in person. Yeah, I guess when you read his work, it's not. It doesn't seem like something that comes out of the mind of a gentle man. Yeah, but sometimes that's how it is. You know, like you, you, uh, you catharsis gets all that stuff out of you. Yeah, you and all the demons. you're a very pleasant person to be around. You know, because <laughs> you, it's like every if you ever meet someone who does horror films. They're always the nicest people in the world. Yeah. You know, because they, they get it all out. They, they put it all out in the cinema, man. Like, I, I never met Wes Craven, but I heard he was just, like, everyone's grandfather, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, like, no, it, yeah. So, so, yeah. That's funny. Uh, I, I, one, of my, one of my good friends makes his, you know, makes his living off of writing horror scripts, and, and that's exactly, like, he is one of the most, like, kind, helpful, like, genuine people I've ever met in my life. And then you read a script, you're like, Jesus, dude, like, what are you, what's going on in your mind? <laughs> Well, it's like because art shatters repression, yeah. and once you remove, especially you know horror, because horror is is a lot about confronting what lives inside your subconscious, mm. and it you have to you know journey into like your own fear and explore yourself in order to pull these things out. It's similar to comics in the sense that you have to create you know villains or write villains and explore that aspect of your own nature and all of that. Um, so you know, writing uh, reconciles a lot of the spirit if you do it in 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 good faith. You know, if you're writing in good faith and really applying yourself, writing can reconcile a lot of inner turmoil that you may have. That's interesting. It's definitely something I've noticed, and I'm you know hopefully will uh, continue to uh, with myself because you know it's it's always nice to get some stuff out. You know. Uh, oh sure. So let's let's moving moving on down the tracks here, uh, as we've been basically just talking about a bunch of random stuff uh, for the last little while. We'll get specific yeah. and, and promote the work, and you know, talk about all that stuff. Um, but uh, Michael Cray, which is now mm. two issues in release, at least from wrapping up. I'm sure you're probably already done writing it. Um, but how did this project come about? This was kind of the first one that happened after the last time I talked to you. So I'm curious who who approached you first for Michael Cray. Well, yeah, I was I was working on Ash versus Evil Dead at the time mm-hmm. uh, on Stars. I was a writer in that room, mm-hmm. and I uh, Rob Levin over at DC Comics, editor there, and uh, a good writer uh, himself actually. Uh, he was working with Marie Javins because um, Marie was handling all of the Warren mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, she's she's um, the one who discovered she, Warren, wasn't she? 
I, I I believe so. I, I don't want to I don't want to quote it because I'll get it wrong and then they'll both be angry with me. Um, but they've had a a positive working relationship for quite some time. Uh-huh. And uh, I got a got an email from Rob, you know, saying, "Hey, would you be interested in in you know working on this Wildstorm spinoff Michael Cray project?" Uh, and I was like, "Wait, that death death blow death blow was that who that was?" <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, no, come in and meet with it and, and meet about it. So I came in, you know, DC and talked to Marie and um, it seemed interesting. You know, it, it, I got like a little information from Warren about what they wanted to do. Uh, I think I sent some thoughts over and it was a very kind of organic and easy process, you know, to kind of get going into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a you know, huge admirer of Warren's work, um, of obviously. So. You know, getting a, an opportunity to work with Warren Ellis, you're, you're probably going to take that. I would have written his grocery <laughs> list if he'd asked me. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and that was, that was kind of it. You know, I mean, the the initial structure of the set of villain up, take a villain down mm-hmm. that you see in the first half of the story, that came more uh, from from Warren. But when I got to issue six, I just asked him, I was like, hey, would you mind if I did a, a longer uh, exploration of the evil Wonder Woman and uh, uh, the dark John Constantine mm. because there's a bit more work, more ground I want to cover with those characters. And he was fine with that. that um, awesome. And uh, yeah, he just, he said like, yeah, just go ahead and, you know, it's your book. Just, you know, do what you do, what you want to do. Um, so that was, it's a, that was a weird thing because it, it's, it's not DCU. No, it's Wildstorm, right? Yeah. So it's a kind of a satellite moon of what goes on with real continuity. And you had the same freedom that you have on an image book, really, you know, because you're not dealing with tendrils of continuity and, you know, well, you can't do that because Superman is over here and, you know, Harvey's Harvey Dent's over there and you can't do that. You know, this was just whatever you want to do. And uh, it, it was, it's not the kind of thing that I would create, you know, I wouldn't, sit in a room with a blank page and then come up with that. Yeah. But, you know, in writing it, it, it took me to places that I probably wouldn't have gone, uh, as a creative. And I really enjoy writing on Constantine. Um, uh, so I, I'm looking for more opportunities to work with that <laughs> character inside of the DCU. Cause I, I like, Ooh, this is kind of neat. I'm kind of, kind of getting, getting the flow of yeah. this guy here. Um, but yeah, that was sort of how they all came about. And then with Dennis and Bill, well, I years ago for uh, a company that I will simply call Valdemore, <laughs> um, I had a project with Valdemore, uh-huh. and it went bad as everything did with that company. But they did get Bill to do a cover of my project. Okay. So so I had this Bill Sienkiewicz cover, right, mm-hmm. which was the best thing ever Absolutely. for me at the time. I mean, I you know, Electra Assassin, you know, talking about Frank mm-hmm. Miller, Electra Assassin, something that I, I jump into, you know, um, probably every month and read and study and still learn things from. I just like read the, that it's like for the, the first time like a month and a half ago. It's such a crazy. Oh book. man, it's a, it's just like a jam session, you know. It's yeah. like it's like David Bowie and Mick Jagger, <laughs> you know, got got. Dr- drunk one night and just started recording and making something up and it's, like awesome stuff happens. Yes. Yeah, Sienkiewicz got so crazy in that book. Like, you know, the way he draws Kingpin, like larger than life and kind of insane, like all of it just so crazy. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the egg beater sound of helicopters, mm-hmm. uh, and all of that, like the whole, oh, so, so much Frank, Frank, 
millerosity going on <laughs> in that book. Um, uh, so I don't know where it was going. Oh yeah, oh, Bill Sienkiewicz. Yeah, yeah. So because that was such a huge, um, uh, kind of a cherished work for me mm-hmm. to have Bill do a piece was awesome. Um, so I'd known Bill a little bit. I mean, I might send him an email, he sent me an email back, you know, it's like, you don't bother Obi-Wan Kenobi unless you have a good reason. <laughs> of course. Um, but then we got to, you know, Michael Cray and Dennis's work I've always admired because his run on the question was something that, uh, I, I, you know, I continually read and love. I yes. love that, um, uh, D- Denny O'Neill, Dennis Cowan question run. Such a great, like, um, it's such a great, like kind of supernatural noir sort of like, it's that's such a, like, especially for the time, like. That that book is it shouldn't have existed at the time. It feels like, yeah, yeah, way before its time, you know. And yeah. and um, so Marie had mentioned, uh, you know, Dennis and Bill, and I was elated, but I didn't have anything to do with that. I mean, I was just DC, you know, and, and Warren putting all that together. But it's pretty wild to think, you know, you have twelve issues of a uh, a comic book. With Dennis Cowan, Bilson Kevich work, you know, associated with it, right? Yeah. Like, and who am I to have all of that, right? Um, <laughs> Those covers so, are gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, I'll take, I'll take it if it comes, but I certainly <laughs> didn't expect it. That's that's amazing. I mean, it's it's yeah. That that was one of my questions. Actually, was like, yeah, being able to, and obviously, you know, that it seems like it forayed into the Hong Kong Fui Black Lightning uh, crossover, at least to me. But let, let's actually talk about that. Was that? Were they already in place on that book before you came to it, or how did how did you all get involved in the Black Lightning uh, Hong Kong Fui crossover? Well, I was about three issues into Michael Cray, and I saw um, you know that Marie also worked on the 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 crossovers. Mm. So uh, early on in the Cray process, I asked her like, "Are you guys doing anything with Hong Kong Fui?" <laughs> and she was like, "Oh man, Hong Kong Fui like that? That's gonna offend everybody. It'll offend Peta. <laughs> It'll." <laughs> You know, like, not wrong. <laughs> you know, like, a good point. You know, no one, no one wants that. And I was like, yeah, but I got a take, though. I got a take on it. Hell I got a yeah. take on it. That I think is cool. So <laughs> I think she just put that in the back of her mind. Like, we're not going to engage that now because I don't want Brian to get blacklisted. So let's let's wait. Um, and then later on, she reached out and said, hey, do you have, you know, you mentioned the Hong Kong Hui thing, you know, you know, you know, Dan uh, DiDio, uh, you know, might be up to to hear the pitch. And so I put something together mm-hmm. and I sent that in. I met with Dan and Dan's like, Brian, this is cool, but it's it's not absurd enough. We need to go further. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, you know, um, and the first time I met with Dan, uh, it was in his office. And on his television in his office was some old Kung Fu movie was playing. Oh, and it wasn't man. like Enter the Dragon. It was like a deep cut, man. Yeah, it like was one like, of those Tarantino library Kung Fu movies. Yeah, it was like <laughs> Legacy of the Venom Blade Part 6. <laughs> it was, you know, if you haven't seen Legacy of the Venom Blade Part 6, man, that is the coolest <laughs> one, okay? Like, that movie, okay, is the coolest movie, right? Um, so that was on in his office and – we were just kind of vibing, man. Because uh, Dan reminds me of the guys I used to hang out with in New York. Okay, you know, just like just like one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, so then I I put together another pitch and sent it to him, and I found some art online where Hong Kong food was taken very seriously. Hell yeah! And kind of like clipped that into the to the PDF <laughs> and sent it over to him. And Dan's like, "This is great. This is what I want." <laughs> <laughs> so we're off to the races, man. And and yeah, it's I mean for me. 
I, I, I studied martial arts when I was a kid in high school and, uh, you know, I did like light competition. I'm not like Joe Rogan or anything, but you know, I, you know, I, I went the distance a little bit. You're, you're not somebody dug, that, you're not somebody that somebody would want to just like, you know, uh, run up on, on the street or something like that. You know, you're, 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 you've got enough to hold your own. It sounds like, I mean, I'll probably run. <laughs> That's um, fair. so usually you know, a sensible that. decision. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. I'm I'm 41 years old, man. We can't be out here getting scars. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> like, it's just, nah, come on. <laughs> come on. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm going to run and then I'm going to sue you. There you go. <laughs> that's that's the that's the ultimate yeah. power move. Yeah, I got a black belt in a lawsuit. <laughs> so um uh, but I, you know, Hong Kong food was as cool as a kid. Uh, and I didn't realize until later on, I'm like, oh, I can go back and wash it. It's kind of, a little rough, <laughs> a little but um, I didn't. I wasn't going to go in that direction because I just thought it was the perfect uh, uh, kind of world to have like a '70s style Shaw Brothers kung fu adventure with a little sprinkle of uh, Big Trouble in Little China, John Carpenter on top of Hell it, yeah. and just have fun with the concept. And because Dennis had done the question, I knew he loved to draw martial arts, mm-hmm. so Marie uh, asked him to do it, and he was like, well, "He wants to do what?" <laughs> You know, Dennis wasn't, you know, instantly in it. We had to, we had to kind of show him the script and show him the tone and the rest of it. Once he saw what I was going to do, then he was uh, super into it. But that I had to write while I was on set uh, during Titans. I was in Toronto when I, when I was writing that script. Um, It was freezing in winter because the episodes I wrote, they uh, were shooting back to back. So I wound up being in Toronto for six weeks. Oh, damn. yeah, that was like grad school. Like I didn't go to film grad school, but I went to film grad school. I hear you. You know, um, so uh, it's 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 like being John McClane and then coming out of the first Die Hard movie and then someone telling you you need to go to counterterrorism school. It's like, no, I think I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I think I get what they're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot the glass. I get it. So, um. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of a fever dream. I mean, you know, because I'm up here, I'm up there in Toronto. It is negative four thousand degrees outside. See, there's this thing about Canada. Oh, Canadians are like really chill. No, that's because they're actually cold. <laughs> they're and too cold to bother with it. Yeah, they're too cold to be rude because everything hurts when you're cold. So you really don't want to get into arguments and fights and the rest of it. I don't think it's like their inherent goodness as much as just for the collective well-being of the nation they've decided <laughs> that they should probably be nicer because you know touching a doorknob will make you scream in, in a canadian winter oh, sure. so yeah i was up there doing that and and you know we were, we were on location and i was doing that i was working on the script on my ipad while they were shooting the show because i had to get all that done and you know and the schedules and the rest of it of course but yeah that was that was how that all uh, came to pass i really dig that man i, I like i like the fun kind of breezy but semi-serious nature of it i keep telling dennis i would love to do a no holds barred miniseries in that world black (laughs) lightning hong kong fui probably put some other people in there you know of the era uh and and see um you know where where we could go with that oh that'd be amazing that was like that that one and the uh obviously batman elmer fudd like those are kind of the two out of that entire crossover that i'm like those those achieved way higher than what uh, than what you know the mandate I think necessarily was. Really well, Batman, Elmer Fudd. I mean, Tom. If Tom wasn't such a nice guy, I'd want to hit him with a truck. <laughs> you know, like he's just too good. Yeah. He's too good. 
he's too good, right? Like he, cause he talks about something. He's all very humble and he's like, well, I just had this idea, you know, about one of Bruce Wayne was like old and, and you know, he was like dying or something, but it wasn't like the way you think he would die. You know, he was kind of like a, a loving thing and you're like, Oh yeah, that sounds all right. And then you like read it and you're weeping, you're knotted up on the floor. Yeah. You're like hugging your wife and calling your mom when it's done. <laughs> so yeah, like uh, uh, Tom is just an incredible talent, and he's such a nice guy. Uh, he's because yeah. it's it's intimidating, man. When when you're uh, you know writing detective comics mm-hmm. um, for the first time, and it's the first time I've written Batman. I've loved Batman since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a huge Batman fan. I never thought I'd write Batman. Absolutely, because you just don't don't write comics thinking you'll write Batman, right? <laughs> like, don't do that to yourself. That's yeah. like being an actor and, and planning on playing James Bond, like. <clears throat> You know, if it happens, it happens. It doesn't whatever. You might get Remington Steel. That might happen. <laughs> that could happen. You know. Yeah. I mean, Thomas Crown Affair. You can definitely do that. <laughs> Bond. <laughs> you know. Um. So I never, never really thought I'd write Batman. Mm-hmm. I honestly didn't think I'd ever write like superhero comics, big two stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the nature of my imagination and the work that I had done. I mean, Postal certainly doesn't say a guy can write an action sequence. Of course. Right. So, um. I just, you know, was like, oh, I like superhero comics, but I didn't really keep a lot of that ambition in, in my heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know when when they gave me the call about Detective, uh, I was like, you sure? You want to? I'm Brian Hill. I think you're trying to get to Brian Bendis. <laughs> uh, you know, you like, probably got my email from like Marie, but this is the wrong Brian. Uh, and Chris Conroy was like, no, no, it's you. You know, and and um, so the first thing I wanted to do was talk to Scott, talk to James Tiny in the fourth and talk to Tom. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and no, I knew Scott a little bit because of Romulus, because we were on a panel uh, when that book came out. Uh, it was an image panel, I think Witches or something he was talking about. And Scott was there. He's always been incredibly kind uh, to me. And, you know, been, before I was working at DC, I would reach out and say, hey, Scott, I got a problem, man. I'm trying to do this and do that, but I just don't have enough damn space. Yeah. Uh, and then he'd be, like, he'd be like, oh, well, you know, you just do this and that. You don't need that panel. You can move that there and you can do that and drop the dialogue down here. I'm like, oh, thank you. So he's always been really helpful. Um, but I hadn't talked to James or, or Tom uh, um, really before. I mean, a little bit online on Twitter, you know, what have you. Um, but Tom was like super uh, uh, nice and really encouraging. You know, Sheriff of uh, Babylon that, yeah. is, you know, w- one of my more treasured recent works. Mm. Uh, I, I had honestly thought of, I was going to leave comics after postal. Uh, I'm like, Oh, well, you know, Brian, you did a couple run, a couple years, you know, you got 25 issues of a book out there. Um, you're on shelves, you know, maybe it's time to move on and, you know, see about putting a camera on Kate Moss again, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like get, getting out here and trying to, trying to take a bite at you know, those different apples, right. Mm. Make a film, you know, whatever. And I read Sheriff of Babylon, and I, I just loved it so much that it kept me in uh, in comics, really. I mean, I credit that book for, for keeping me around. Not that I was, like, tired of comics or anything, but I, I never thought I was going to write as much Postal as I did. You know, even those 25 issues was more comic book work than I really get anticipated ever doing. Absolutely. Um, uh, so, you know, I was kind of like, oh, well, that's cool. You know, maybe move on to the next thing, see, see what's there for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that book kept me in. And I talked to Jamie Rich about it a lot, um, the editor of that book who yeah. went on to the bad office. And I think that's kind of how all that detective stuff happened. I was, you know, I tell people don't 
not don't, I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> I don't really run around pitching things, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, I have a lot of conversations with people about stuff I like, and then sometimes organically someone will ask you, well, you know, have you ever thought about like this character? And then you just kind of riff. Oh, well, you know, if I was going to do that character, I'm, I'm interested in these aspects, but not so much these aspects. And mm-hmm. I always love this run of the character from like 1992 and all that. And, and it's kind of share the enthusiasm. And, and usually opportunity shows up through that when I'm not even really pursuing it. And I think because I had had a drink with Jamie, uh, really just to talk to him about Sheriff of Babylon and, and the process of editing that and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about Batman a little bit. And he got about five minutes of me pontificating about Batman, which is not hard to get out of me. <laughs> uh, I, think he, I think he filed that away like, oh, OK, this guy has some Batman thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, a couple of years later, you get the call. So uh, it was it was all very uh, kind of organic, I think, in the way it came all about. I'm curious for for Detective, what was after you get that job, right? I mean, I, I guess the, the first question would then be, you know, what are the sort of the marching orders that you have? I mean, it seems like the creation of the Outsiders and the inclusion of Black Lightning, obviously, would kind of be the, the two big mandates there. But what, what did they tell you when you started? And then what was your sort of research process off from that? And right there is where I'm going to cut off this first part. I know it's terrible. You want them to get into all that Gotham City goodness. But you'll just have to wait a few days for when Brian Edward Hill strikes again. Uh, that episode is coming soon. Do not worry. Uh, it's, it's just sitting in the can. I wanted to give you a little time, a little space to ruminate on this first part. Uh, in the meantime, friends, make sure you follow us on social media. We are at Savage Land Podcast on Instagram and at Savage Land Pod on Twitter. Uh, send in any questions you might have, any uh, suggestions for future guests, any feedback on the show, whatever you'd like. Send that all to letters at savagelandpodcast.com. And make sure you leave those ratings along with some nice little reviews on iTunes. Any uh, good ratings will help people find the show and help us continue to grow. Did you like that rhyme there? I did. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed Brian Edward Hill. I hope you wait for next uh, the next part of this interview. And I hope you've enjoyed your time in the Savage Land. Be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>